either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Hope you like 80s and 90s pop hits and, and what else? Documentaries. We're chock full of all kind of stuff this week. We're back to quality and quantity. Number of titles to talk about. And we're glad you're here. This is the Screening Room Podcast. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we're from madwolf.com. And we'll start out with a musical. It's set to a new wave 80s soundtrack. A pair of young lovers from different backgrounds defy their parents and friends to stay together. That sounds familiar. It should. It's a remake of the 1983 film Valley Girl. Hey, come on. Just tell me what happened tonight. Zach and I broke up. Oh my God, sweetie, I'm no, so don't, sorry. No, don't, don't, don't do any of that. We just have no idea what I'm going through. You'd be surprised. I'll tell you a story. See the people walking down the street. They don't know where they want to go, but they're walking in time. Stop. You were singing and dancing on a fountain. That's how I remember it. Go, go, music really makes us dance. Where should we go now? We go over the hill to Hollywood. It's interesting. We knew this was coming. So just the other night, we watched the original again. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's because of the time that has elapsed, but the movie gets a lot of love, and it's it's a little rough. <laughs> it's sloppy. It's, is it, it is you very know sloppy, and yeah. To me, in, in some ways, it's endearingly sloppy because it just doesn't follow exactly the sort of pattern, the, the polished pattern that you are expecting. Yeah. But it, it's, it's, it's not a great film. It seems like a movie where not, not too many takes. Yeah. They did one. That's good. Let's yeah. move along. Yeah, yeah. But the, mainly, it launched the career of Nicolas Cage. Yep. And that's what it's uh, become a cult classic over the years. And now it's got a remake. And even though music did, of course, feature in the original, now it is a full on musical. Right. And that really is what frames the entire movie this time. It's just, it's on demand now. And uh, it's not a premium on demand either. The price is lower. Yeah. This, it's only, what, six ninety nine. Yeah. It's not one of those $20, $20 premiums. Right. So that helps a little bit. But it's nostalgia in the music, and it's nostalgia in the setup. Because this time, you've still got the romance at the heart of this. You've got the Valley Girl, Julie, and the rock and roller from Hollywood on the other side of the tracks, Randy. But this time, though, Julie is grown up, and she's played by Alicia Silverstone, and the whole movie is set in motion because the grown-up Julie is telling her story to her daughter when her daughter is going through a breakup. So that's how we get it, and it does it does make it easier to, I guess, take the, the breaks into song because yeah. early, early on, her daughter just stops her and says, now, wait a minute. You were singing? And she said, well, that's how I remember it. Yeah. So it sets that whimsical tone yeah, that you love so much. <laughs> <laughs> I do so much. Although, you know, if you're going to sell me on a musical, tell me that you're playing a bunch of the, quote, new wave hits of 1983, 84, 85. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, I'll give it a shot. Yeah. Uh, one of the things, though, I, I really love about the original is the music, which I was reminded of when we watched it again the other day. I mean, and those were just nutty songs, yeah. you know, Don't Put Another Dime in the Jukebox. These, instead, are the big hits. You right. got Madonna songs and... But they're not the, they're not the original versions no. of the hits. They're sung by these Except performers. Duran Duran. So they were at a, they're at the 
skating rink and you hear Rio come on oh, while they're skating. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. It's the actual <laughs> Duran Duran version. Well done. Well played. Yeah, but it's still the same story. As, as we said, the, uh, the Valley girl is not satisfied with her life and her boyfriend. And then at a party, she meets the Hollywood punker. And they start off in the romance that doesn't make either one of their groups of friends happy. Right. And I think there's a lot more balance in that way in this one. I mean, in in a lot of ways, the story itself is stronger in this one. But it's certainly, it's not as fresh. And and the biggest thing is that Josh Whitehouse is no Nick Cage, right? Because as you said, that's really the reason that people remember that film. And even though it's not like he's full-blown Nick Cage in that one. And what was going on with his teeth, by the way? (laughs) Still, he's, I mean, there's, there's no doubt that there is something unique and talented within this actor and in the other this... thing that caught me about him in the original his chest hair when they remember when they it was first... shaved into some kind of a weird exactly. triangle it I thought it was a tattoo no, the yeah. first time. <laughs> I swear to God yeah, it is because he's got the first scene he's on a beach in those hideous like yeah. gray shorts yeah. and everybody's like ooh dreamboat and it's clearly because he's a hirsute individual it's clearly been shaved into a weird V but... but still I know it's easy to say now because of what he's turned into but still there was something about him no question it's like this guy he's he's got something yeah what is it about this guy absolutely it, your eye was drawn to yeah, him not 100%. so not so here no I don't think so at all I do again I think it's fun I think it is a fun film to watch um, and I think that it's gonna hit a lot of fun nostalgic it notes is. and there are things about it that are stronger certainly more polished than they were you know what it reminds me of is um, that hair metal one that Tom Cruise... Rock of Ages. Rock of Ages, mm-hmm. where it's, you know, or in a weird way, also Mamma Mia, right? Whereas, like, mm-hmm. somebody just sort of quarantined a set of songs and then created a narrative that let them play those songs, yeah. right? Let them not even play karaoke those songs, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It's a big ball of nostalgia, and Jessica Roth plays uh, Julie, and she is mainly known for the Happy Death Day films. Yeah. And I like her. She I do does. too. She has she has char- the charisma of the couple. She does. And then you've got you've got some fun peripheral characters. Mae Whitman, yeah. who I like from The Duff and, and and some other movies. She's a friend. And then you've got. Uh, Julie's parents are Judy Greer, yes. who's always... I love Judy Greer and everything. Yes. And uh, Rob Hubble, yeah. who's got this <laughs> this mustache, this tremendously fake mustache that's so funny. So they, they have a lot of fun with the, with the 80s nostalgia. You're going to see some cameos, not Nick Cage, but some cameos from the original cast of the original Valley Girl. And Jim Dangle. Jim Dangle, yeah, Thomas Lennon pops up. Uh, he wasn't in the original, but it's no, always fun no, to see him. Yeah. And what's really cool, and we didn't know this, we read it before we, we watched the movie, that when they're first, when the couple is first taking their drive, when Randy first takes Julie down to his neck of the woods in Hollywood, when they're driving down the street, they actually use the same footage from the original yeah. Valley Girl yeah, that movie. That was fun. Yeah, yeah. That was fun. It is cool. So if you've seen the first one, if you love the first one, it's, it's, you're, you're going to see a, a lot of throwbacks uh, direct throwbacks and other yeah. other cameos that you're going to like but it is i think it's totally fun it's not great but you know, it's, it's a things, nice fun diversion one of the things that stuck out to me when we saw the first one again which i'm sure i didn't notice before was that the the people who played the parents and the people who played the teens really looked like they were almost the same age well. <laughs> and i kept making that joke i'm like which one of these people is the mom right. i don't know well in this case yeah Every I don't know I don't know how old the male lead is, but everybody else is thirty to thirty-five. I couldn't find his age, but yeah, Jessica Roth I think is thirty-two. 
Uh, same with Mae Whitman. Uh, yeah, they're they're in their thirties. Yeah, I'm not as bad as Stalker Channing in the in the Greece. original Greece. <laughs> it was like forty one <laughs> or something. Had but, teenagers of her own. But yeah, but it is especially for a not twenty dollar premium yeah. uh, rental. It's it's a lot of fun. It's fun. It really is. If you have the the nostalgia for the eighties, especially or the original, I think you'll like Valley Girl. And if 80s music is not your thing, how about the 90s? This next one charts the journey of teenager Johanna Morrigan, who reinvents herself as Dolly Wilde, fast-talking lady sex adventurer and music critic in London. It's called How to Build a Girl. Last night, rock and roll meant nothing to me. By midnight, it was the most important thing in the world. Dolly, have you ever done an interview before? I've never done anything before. Dolly Wilde, she's trouble. Yes, I am trouble. A question to you, Johanna, is when did you lose your mind? What do you do when you build yourself, only to realise you built yourself with the wrong things? You rip it up and start again. If you know Caitlin Moran, the writer, then you probably already know whether or not you want to watch this movie. So this is, she adapted her own memoir and fictionalized it to a certain degree because the character's name is Johanna. She's changed the name of Johanna. So you you assume that she's changed a handful of other things as well. For example, that the pictures that she has on the wall talk back to her. I'm sure that probably (laughs) didn't really happen. The point is, she has a really funny, very memorable writing style and it creates an incredibly fun atmosphere for this film yeah and this one is not a full-on musical but music is a big part of it and it also in much like you mentioned the the pictures on the wall talking back it's got a definite whimsy to it as well for sure but the reason to see it above all is Beanie Feldstein. Yeah. So she, and, and she does, let's be honest, she struggles a little bit with the accent, you know, because she's American. As most Americans do. Yes, <laughs> and she's playing a working class British teen, 16 year old. But and here's, you the thing, get... here's the thing I didn't know about her until just recently, until she was on that tribute, the birthday tribute to Stephen Sondheim. I didn't know she could sing. Oh, yeah, that's she's been my, on Broadway. That's my bad. I did not know that. Oh, so, yeah, she's your girl all over the place. All over the place. Yeah, George loves Beanie. We all do, though. She's, you know, and she was so great. She has always done a great job of playing that sort of endearing outsider character, whether it's Booksmart or, you know, Sorority Rising, and that's She's she's the same basic idea here as the lead, and uh, it is impossible not to root for her. She's, she just effervesces right off the screen. Yeah, she really does, and she kind of auditions for this role as a music writer, which she never really done before. Didn't really care. About it, music. She's a big writer. Big writer. But, but not a big music fan. Not not the current music. She auditions with a review of Annie. The Broadway musical <laughs> Annie. So the people at the Melody Maker, they think that's pretty funny, and they only invite her in for an interview just to see if she's a real person. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> they don't... They, Nobody could really right, have right. in earnest sent us this review. But she charms her way into the gig and then reinvents herself, as you heard in the synopsis, as Dolly Wilde, and really starts getting successful when she starts just just putting down everybody in sight. And, uh, yeah, and she calls herself a sex adventurer, and that is a little bit... Uh, I mean, I know someone's telling her real story, but in, in the movie here, she's 16, yeah. maybe 17 years old. No, and, she's 16 the whole time. Okay, I thought maybe we could at give her very, a birthday. The, no, because at the very end, she says, at the very end, she refers to herself as being 16 and two-thirds now. Yeah, and then some of the... Uh, it gets a little uncomfortable with oh, yeah. some of the ages of her partners, yes. but... We'll we'll let that go because maybe the 
the woman is telling her own story, and that's, that's her right. business. It's right. It's her point of view, and she saw it as being uh, different than being parents might. So, no, 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 that's very wrong. <laughs> um, but I think the point there is, unlike Valley Girl, this uh, this coming of age feminist film is R. <laughs> so and and only for that reason, there's no foul language, there's no nudity, right. but uh, there is some some sexual experimentation mm-hmm. with a 16 year old that I think people are kind of uncomfortable with. Yeah, yeah, but it is. It's a lot of fun. Again, if the 90s is more your bag than the 80s, then you'll definitely have a soft spot for this movie. And you're, you're right that the main reason is Beanie Feldstein. She carries it. It's one of the movies, one of those movies where if you don't have somebody in this role to carry it, well, the movie's going to sink or swim well, the on other, that performance. The other thing that I really appreciated about this is that there, very often when you have a story about a writer, and she's a writer, let's let's talk, let's take Sex in the City, for example. One of the reasons why, and I never watched those shows, but those movies made me just gag, is that when you hear a quote from Carrie Bradshaw's column, you think to yourself, she can't write! She can't write, plus no way she can afford that apartment on what she gets in a column uh-huh. a month. Uh-huh. But anyway, this since this is based on a real writer, you know, and she used clips from her own actual reviews, they're astounding. To think that a 16-year-old came up with these yeah. turns of phrase. And that's another reason, you know, as, as writers ourselves, that we just thought... Every, I mean, we would say to each other, every once in a while you would go, oh, that was good. Yeah, you know? it's a good line. Yeah. 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 The first, actually, the first review that she writes for real current concert, real current music concert, she wrote the opening line, and I said, oh, that's good. Exactly. That's a great, yeah, that's she's a great got opener. the gig. So, yeah, so she's got it. So, yeah, it's, it's really irresistible with a great performance and just a lot of fun, and that is How to Build a Girl. And now we leave the whimsy behind for the story of Kylan Swin, living by the orders of an Arkansas-based drug kingpin named Frog, whom they've never met, but when a deal goes horribly wrong, the consequences are deadly in Arkansas. You decide to run off, I will hunt you down and I'll kill you. Are you going to die? Most likely. Would either of you boys like to call me sir? You can if you want. I won't think it's corny. We're going to go traffic drugs across state lines, sir. These two are supposed to be working for me. They're about the worst enemies I've ever had. It's not going to end well for you. You think you're good enough to outdo a man? That's what you do. If you've liked this late career turn by Vince Vaughn as playing heavies in indie thrillers and indie dramas, well, that you're going to like this then because he's back to do more of that as Frog. Yeah, he well, does a great job. He's fun though. It's it's a it's a funnier turn than some of his other thrillers, and and he's accompanied in this goofy madcap way by John Malkovich, who's like the middleman running between him and his lackeys. Malkovich, of course, is always just nuts. And they're a lot of fun. I think the problem comes in with Liam Hemsworth, who's the the point-of-view character. He's a little flat compared to these heavyweights. But, you know, what's Mm -hmm. funny is Clark Duke, who wrote and directed it, Hot Tub Time Machine Clark Duke, and he plays... He plays Liam Hemsworth's partner in crime, literally, in crime. And he's also a lot... He's a very funny presence. Yeah, and really becoming filmmaker now as the co-writer and director. And if you don't immediately think of his... You would recognize him. A Hot Tub Time Machine might be his... His most recognizable right, role, right? But uh, yeah, moving into the filmmaker angle, and it's it's one that's not it's another one that's that's not great, but might be worth your time. Yeah, it has that great line. What people don't always know about organized crime in the South is that it's not that well organized. That's a great line. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, and definitely has some great characters and character actors if you want to check out Arkansas. 
going to move to a couple of documentaries next. First up is the adaptation of one of the most groundbreaking and powerful books of our time. It is an eye-opening journey through wealth and power. It's called Capital in the 21st Century. The way the elite stays in power, it's also by shaping the way that we think. Make America great again. We have a mythology that what's good for Wall Street is good for Main Street. But that's really never been true. People have the money to make sure they stay at the top. The system is rigged. This is producing a new social story. People are starting to say enough of the inequality and enough of not having a story about how this ever gets better. We can absolutely link the rise of fascism and extreme poverty. It is all about money. Blaming your neighbour doesn't make you any richer. We have to make choices about which future we wind up in. It's a move towards creating a new vision. Well, you loved this one because it's not one of these political grandstanding kind of a films. It's like a history lesson. It really is. It's incredible. It's so informative, so concise, so calm and measured. And it, it, it gets so much out of its hour and 40-some minute running time. It's, it's almost like you should walk out of there with a college credit. And it's, it's weird and, and sort of a catch-22. One of, I guess, the small faults about the movie, you could you could say that it's a little too simplistic at times. But on, on the flip side of that, that's a bonus because this type of movie needs to be seen and understood by as many people as possible. Right. And you never get the feeling that they're, they're not condescending to anyone and they're not speaking over top of you to confuse you. It's right in, in right on the money as New Zealand uh, filmmaker Justin Pemberton. He assembles a, a cast of scholars and historians, including the guy that wrote the source book, Thomas Piketty, I think uh, is how his last name is pronounced. And it just goes through the last 400 years or so of history and wealth, power, and capital, basically leading up to how we, how we got to the place we are right now and where we might definitely end up, if history is any indicator, and it often is, unless we what their conclusion is, change our mindset about things. And I don't, I don't want to give anything away. Uh, some, some of the revelations are going to be pretty standard, like a strong economy, you need a strong middle class. Okay, we've heard that over and over. Sure. But they really go into these examples of, of why and how strings are pulled and how the game can be rigged and what we need to do to get out of this. And they even break it down to horses and board games. And, and trust me when I say that sounds very simple, but they'll make you think a different way about horses and board games. And it's, <laughs> I, I cannot recommend this enough. If it, it's, it's Like I said, it's not that long, only an hour and 40-some minutes. You're not going to get bogged down in a bunch of stuff you don't understand, but you'll really, it's so clear-eyed. And, and measured in its tone, but uh, doesn't doesn't pull any punches about the dire situation that we're in and how we got here and how we better start getting out of it. So I uh, really, really recommend Capital in the 21st Century. And one of the other things, a few of the things that Pemberton also does stylistically, he adds in, in between all the talking heads, he adds in graphs and illustrations and lots of snippets, pop culture snippets from film and TV that just make it a lot more pleasing to the eye and, and really ups the entertainment value of the movie. You can stream it from a number of different theaters around the country, including here in Columbus, although obviously you can get to it from anywhere, Drexel.org. Yeah, highly recommend it.
And the next documentary is a look at the group of people who built the Biosphere 2, the giant replica of the Earth's ecosystem in 1991. It's called Spaceship Earth. We called it Biosphere 2 because Biosphere 1 is the Earth. If we're going to go to Mars and the moon, we better know how to make a biosphere. Climate change is a threat. We were trying to counteract that threat. We put in a rainforest, a desert, and an ocean with a living coral reef. It was a global curiosity. Eight human beings separated from life. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. Here is this capsule of life from Earth. It was science fiction without the fiction. This is an incredible moment. The future is here. How disappointed are you in me that I have no recollection of this? Of Biosphere 2? <laughs> None. I have no recollection of it. But what a fascinating documentary. And it is interesting because when people do think about it and remember it, it, it really doesn't have a good reputation. Most people are, are, are going to... It was happening in 19, 1991 to 1993. And most people that do remember it are probably more apt to say, yeah, that was just a big flaming face plant, wasn't it? <laughs> but this movie and this documentarian, Matt Wolf, no relation, wants you to reconsider that legacy. And he does a good job presenting that, starting with the, starting with the history of the people that were responsible for it. Because a, a lot of people might assume, in just kind of glancing at the info, it was some sort of government project. Not at all. It was the realization of some hippie dreams by these California hippies who had done all these different projects and kept gaining momentum and raising money until they actually, all eight of them, moved in for two years into this big structure that tried to recreate the Earth's ecosystem. And they said Earth was Biosphere 1. That's why they were Biosphere 2. And then, of course, things don't work out the way that they had planned. And it's a it's a fascinating story, especially if you remember it, and it will. I think it will make you reconsider the legacy that even though their ultimate goals and what they thought they would achieve weren't achieved, there still were lessons to be learned and value, valuable lessons to be learned. And still, some of that work still goes on today. So if those types of documentaries are your thing, I would recommend uh, recommend Spaceship Earth. This is another one that streams via theaters. You can find it at Wexner Center for the Arts at wexarts.org. And the next movie tells the aftermath of a one-sided breakup with heartbroken Karen breaking into her ex's lake house. And there she strikes up a complicated relationship with provocative younger woman Lana in Clementine. You should be careful. Why? There are people out there that will take advantage of you if you let them. Why would I let them? You should be careful. She's not who you think she is. You're hurting me! Don't do anything stupid. What's wrong with you? What are you doing? So you're supposed to be watching me? I burn this whole fucking house down. One, two... Here's a twisty, turny, coming-of-age kind of a tale that is forever surprising. And the way that it's filmed and also the really nuanced performances keep it on the edge of being almost a horror film. It's not. It never crosses that. But there's something mildly nightmarish about it that just is forever provocative. It's a great movie. Yeah, this one is from writer-director Laura Gallagher. And it also features some strong performances. Especially Sydney Sweeney. So she's the one 
she's really the 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 thing that keeps the movie so surprising and so engaging. She just has just nuance to spare. And another one, this is another one that benefits uh, through benefits the theaters that you might be able to stream it in, including one here in town, Gateway Film Center. You can stream this at gatewayfilmcenter.org, and that's Clementine. And one more, and this one's a Shudder original. A family finds themselves terrorized by their eight-year-old son's imaginary friend, just called Z. A lot of children have imaginary friends. You put our son on medication he didn't tell me? Not seeing what I'm seeing, you don't understand how bad it is. You saw Z, didn't you? He's here with you, isn't he, brother? Get off the track! I never want to see you again! I swear, I saw something standing in the corner watching me. Please, I think you should go now. It's using your son to try to reconnect with you. This is one we got the chance to see last year at the Nightmares Film Festival. Yeah. Uh, it's a great place to see new horror movies, and it's a Shudder. It's, it's premiering on Shudder this week, and it's one of those creepy takes on the imaginary friend. Because yeah, we've there seen that is, a lot. There is something inherently creepy about an imaginary friend. <laughs> <laughs> and this does have, it's got a, a good central performance. It has... A couple of very, very interesting twists on the old tale, and it has uh, a very, very, very creepy artwork. Um, so, you know, it's not a brilliant film, but it does manage a couple of surprises, and it's not a bad movie. Yeah, and if you have Shudder already, uh, give it a look. And that is Z. And that takes us to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Boy, good week if you like some creepy, scary horror movies. Got three coming out on uh, home video this week on their regular schedule. And speaking of movies that we got to see first at Nightmares Film Festival, The Lodge. Finally! Oh my God, it's finally being released to streaming services. Everybody watch it. Do it now. (laughs) It's Riley Keough, and she's stuck in a snowbound cabin with her soon-to-be stepkids. Yeah. And creepy things happen. It's so great. Also, Gretel and Hansel is out. It's out on DVD this week. And, yeah, if you didn't know, it's a flip on the fairy tale. This one told from Gretel's point of view, and it's directed by Oz Perkins, uh, Tony Perkins, Anthony Perkins' son, right. who also did... Um, I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House and Black Oak Daughter. Yeah, so, good stuff. Yes, we're big fans of his work, and and true to form, this is one of those really creepy, it's almost like a storybook. The the visuals are just as important as everything else. He does such a great job. I enjoy this very much. Mm-hmm. And also on DVD, the Spanish language, Tigers Are Not Afraid. Glorious! That's the thing, man. You cannot go wrong with any of these yeah. three movies. Tigers yeah. Are Not Afraid was one of the best films from last year, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of genre. It's such an incredibly well-told story. See it, see it, see it. Also on DVD, Steve Coogan in Greed. This is one done by his frequent collaborator through all the trip movies, Michael Winterbottom. And as you might guess from the title, it's a, a, a wannabe satire about the ultra-rich and greed. I just don't think... It fully commits itself enough to satire, which I know is hard to do. Yeah. But it's got a great cast. I mean, Steve Coogan is is great and so utterly obnoxious as the main billionaire. But yeah, Isla Fisher is in it, and uh, you've got a, a list of of characters and cameos that pop up as this big billionaire is trying to throw himself a gladiator themed 60th birthday party. So it, it's not 
it, it's not as good as I think it wants to be, obviously. But sure. It wants to be a great satire, and it just doesn't ever get there. But there are definitely some funny moments. Definitely some funny moments in Greed. Vin Diesel and Bloodshot out this week. And that one is if basically if you love the comic. And I, I found out after seeing this movie, it's a very popular comic that I had never heard of. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it is. So you might want to check it out. Also, some imp- impressive visuals, characters, not so much, acting, not so much. But uh, but if you're a fan of the uh, comic, definitely want to check out Bloodshot. And then at the low end of the spectrum, I Still Believe is out this week. It's one of those uh, inspirational films. It's based on a true story, which means that, unfortunately, it they they really wash away any faults that anybody has, which is unfortunate because it's the, it creates a not-human drama. So I think it really undercuts the power of this story. Got some big ones coming next week. Scoob! Another direct-to-premiere on demand for the family. And it, it really scored well, as we've said. It scored really well for uh, Trolls World Tour. So yeah. we'll see. We'll see how Scoob does. Also, we're looking forward to seeing Tom Hardy as Capone. Yes! That should be pretty fun to watch, and we're going to get to watch it this weekend, actually. Woohoo! And, and then, then the new one from Shudder, Monstrum. Oh, that's another Shudder. Yeah. All right. Love our friends at Shudder. Thank you for that. So, And there may be more popping up next week we don't know about uh, right now. That happens a lot. So in the meantime, let us know what you thought about any of these. There's plenty to choose from. Always good and always easy to keep the conversation going on Twitter. That's where you can find us. We're at Mad Wolf. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website with all our written reviews and other fun stuff, including our horror movie only podcast called Fright Club. That's all right there in convenient website form at MadWolf.com. And we always appreciate you stopping by the screening room. If you would just take a second to subscribe, rate, and review, we would appreciate it. Yes, we sure would. Hope we'll meet again next week. Stay healthy till then. She's Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.